0: of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we continue on our Lenten series through the seven last words of Jesus on the cross... We've uh, arrived at the fifth word, and the fifth word being one of the shortest words, and yet a word that has a whole lot of impact for us because all of us have experienced this at one level or another. And the word is, I thirst. Now think about it. You in your life have probably said, I'm starving, I'm dying of thirst, when probably it wasn't true. And yet at the same time, Most of us have said this. Most of us have felt pangs of hunger, especially if you have fasted and possibly during Lent. Most of you have experienced thirst, and significant thirst maybe at times, if you've done some work, done a workout, didn't have water uh, available to you. One time, I remember very well that I was incredibly thirsty, and it was when I was in college. When I was in college is when I got serious about playing racquetball, and many of you know that I was a racquetball almost fanatic for years. In fact, uh, when I arrived here, I figured out a way to play five lunchtimes a week, and so I was playing five times a week. And uh, when I was in college is when I got really hooked on racquetball, and my game progressed, and uh, I remember sometimes playing twice a day uh, as I tried to get a workout in, racquetball was my favorite kind of workout, and so uh, one time a friend of mine said, Greg, let's go play racquetball, and it was like 9 o'clock at night, and I said, sure, let's go play racquetball, so we went up to the courts, and Pitt was very unusual, the University of Pittsburgh was very unusual in how the courts were designed back then, most places would never design courts like this today, but the way the courts were designed is the opening in the back of the court, which was up about 20 feet, you had to climb up to the opening, climb down a ladder, and then you had to use a rope pulley to pull the ladder back up to the top. And my second semester at Pitt, I was a teaching assistant in racquetball. One of my most frightening things was trying to get all these kids, some of who were uncoordinated, down this ladder without falling into the court. So it was actually pretty frightening. But when you're going there and you're trying to be a macho guy and uh, you're trying to impress the other person or psych the other person out, you would show no intimidation. You'd get on the ladder, you'd climb, climb down into the court, and you'd pull it up rapidly, and you'd say, let's go. So that's what me and my friend did. And unbeknownst to us, when we pulled it up rapidly, we pinched the rope in the foot of the ladder against the wall. We did not know that. And so when we got down... Into the court, we started playing, and we played furiously for an hour, an hour and a half. I don't remember exactly what time it was. I want to say 10:30, 11 o'clock at night. <clears throat> we went to get out of the court. We were both very thirsty because you didn't take water down into those courts, and we didn't even think about drinking water in those days like we do today. So, we tried to get out, and probably for a half an hour or an hour, we thought of all kinds of different means: getting on each other's shoulders, trying to, you know. Rapidly pull the rope, whatever. We could not get out. We started screaming, yelling, pleading for someone to come. And finally, as the janitor was closing the place down, he heard us yelling and let us out. We thought we might spend the night there, which was not a very pleasant thought. But we ended up getting out of the court, and the first thing we did was seek water because we desperately needed water. I mean, think about... What can happen if you don't have enough water? Dehydration? Heat exhaustion? Heat stroke? Your heart can race, your kidneys can fail. People don't always know it, but people are dehydrating when they have certain sicknesses. And so the problem with not having enough water is you're not only thirsty, you're depleted. And it can be life-threatening. Now... All of us don't always think about these things and, you know, we can say we're hungry, we're thirsty. And Jesus got hungry. Jesus got thirsty. And if you think about times in Jesus' life, for example, when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, when you come to the end of that time and the scriptures say, and he was hungry, I think that's a little bit of an understatement after 40 days of a fast. And I think when he was hanging on the cross and he said, I'm thirsty, again, we can't imagine the level of thirst that he was experiencing. Some people sometimes minimize what Jesus was going through because Jesus was both fully God and fully human. And sometimes people minimize the fact that he was fully God because they think of him as a prophet, or a good man, but they don't think of him as God. And then on the other hand, people that believe, in fact, Jesus is God, they sometimes minimize his humanity. Now think about how people might minimize Jesus' humanity. They might say something like, well, of course Jesus never sinned, because he was God. Especially if we want to rationalize or justify a particular sin in our lives, we can say, well, you know, I'm human. Jesus was human. And we forget that. And so if we minimize his humanity, we miss it. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired. Jesus needed alone time with the Father. In Mark 1, he went away to a lonely place to pray, and he did it on more than one occasion. Jesus got thirsty, and not just on the cross, but... When he was traveling through Samaria, and he stopped the Samaritan woman when she was at the well and said, can you give me something to drink? So Jesus was fully God and fully human. And if we forget about what Jesus went through, we'll minimize how thirsty he really was. Because he was arrested maybe approximately 18 hours before he died. We're not told that he ever had anything to drink Anything to eat during that period of time, and there's a good chance he probably didn't. He went from trial to trial, place to place. He went before the crowds. He's probably pouring sweat, and he probably was pouring sweat on the cross. But that's minimal water loss compared to what he experienced beyond that. The 39 lashes with the cat 9 tails that ripped his flesh, and he would be bleeding from that. The beatings that he took, he probably bled from that. The crown of thorns, he bled from that. The nails in his hands and feet, he bled from that. He was probably significantly dehydrated. And then he had to, in order to breathe, push himself up. He'd be sweating and in pain and, and losing water because of that. All this water loss that Jesus experienced, he was clearly dehydrated. And we can't minimize the extent to what he was in need Physically, first and foremost. That yes, Jesus was God. But he had human needs. From the very beginning, when, when we are infants, we have needs. We need someone to provide for those needs. And some of those needs are natural needs. Hunger and thirst. Thirst. Shelter, when we're sick, being cared for. All of these are needs. And we can seek to get those needs taken care of in healthy ways or unhealthy ways. Sometimes we refer to needs, but they're really wants. And part of that is going on right now in our culture with people needing so much toilet paper. You know, what would cause that? What would cause the hoarding right now? I think it's possibly insecurity. It's fear. It's having something that they desperately want to hold on to. Indulgence, maybe. Because people do indulge themselves from time to time. Referring to it as a need. And what about beyond that? Greed. I mean, greed can be something that can take over our lives because we want. Not because we need, but because we want. And so we're driven to take care of these alleged needs in wrong ways. So we are unkind, we are ungodly, we are sinful in how we carry it out instead of considering others. Instead of seeking to love others. The other possibility with having a need is we don't ask we don't ask when it's natural to ask sometimes people in our lives for what we need and some people have needs out right there right now out there and they're not asking anyone for help why fear possibly possibly pride we need to be aware of that That on the one hand, hoarding is wrong. On the other hand, hiding your needs is wrong. And it can be that side of us that we want to indulge ourselves, or it can be that side of us where we're so prideful we refuse to ask. Jesus was human in a healthy way. When he was exhausted, he slept on the boat in the midst of a storm. Regardless of what was going on around him. Until someone asked him. When he needed to be with the Father, he pulled back. When he needed food or drink, he asked. So there's healthy ways of dealing with needs and unhealthy ways. And Jesus models that even on the cross. But his needs were more than physical. His needs were also emotional and spiritual. Think about what he had been through emotionally in the last few days. Both the highs and the lows. I mean, because we're talking about Palm Sunday when everybody, everybody on these roads, thousands of people were celebrating him and celebrating him coming into Jerusalem, thinking the Messiah had arrived when he didn't do it their way, what they wanted. Not needed necessarily, but wanted. They turned on him. So he experienced that rejection. He experienced people not understanding him. Who he really was and why he really came. He experienced disbelief. And he always told the truth. He experienced the rejection in the face of love because he always loved. He experienced betrayal and desertion by those that he loved dearly and deeply who had spent three years with him. He experienced scorn and hatred and violence. As much as we have had people hurt us, most of us, if not all of us, have never experienced that level of emotional pain and rejection. Jesus had John and his mother Mary and a few other women near the cross to remind him that there were still people who cared for him. Just like in our lives, if we're honest, we always have people around that care. But on the other hand, the amount of rejection and pain. This is God in the flesh, God who is love, rejected, which we from time to time do. So Jesus is experiencing pain and need physically and emotionally and spiritually, which we also experience. But we're only touching the tip of the iceberg when we experience it because we still perceive God's love and God's grace even when we're pushing him away. But on the other hand, Jesus, who as we, as we read in scripture, knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin. Before this, he was in perfect communion with the Father. That's why last week we talked about his feeling forsaken by God. Because he never had that experience. He's part of the Trinity. He was intertwined. There was intimacy and love and commitment. And when he took upon himself the sin of the world, he experienced that pain of distance from the Father, of broken communion with the Father. And we really can't fathom that. Because even in our best times, our communion with the Father is in a finite world with our finite minds and hearts. Broken communion with the God who we dearly loved. So Jesus experienced the separation physically, emotionally, spiritually. This is as complete a need, a hole in his heart, a hole in his life, his soul, as one could ever experience. You know, we read from Psalm 22, let me read it to you, it's where my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, goes on to say, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. So as Jesus is thinking about this psalm, as he's fulfilling the prophecy and he's praying this psalm, of course, after my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's aware of all this pain, all this desperate emptiness in his life. Why, as he goes on, he would say, I thirst. I have this desperate need, and thirst is one of the most basic. I just need something to drink. Reading on in the psalms, We read from Psalm 69. They gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me vinegar. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm thirsty, vinegar is not the first thing on my mind. And probably doesn't quench your thirst very much. But nevertheless, that's what they gave him. And it fulfilled the prophecy. But it didn't meet that desperate need. What met the desperate need is people who would care for him and provide for him and a God who would be reunited with him, which he would experience. And we can, through this cross, through the power of the resurrection, I mean, Jesus in the garden right before, right before he went to all this pain and passion for our sake and went to the cross and died for us, he prayed in the garden, Father, take this cup away the cup that he drank is the cup that brought him the thirst for our sake. That he emptied himself for our sake, out of love for us. You know, during this coronavirus, we, we have become probably, many of us, more aware of our needs than usual. Maybe some of them are just coming out in ways that we didn't realize because we have... Social distancing and isolation. And not as much activity and busyness in our lives and we try to fill it. But our desperate need is for the Father. For this gift of Jesus Christ who went to the cross for us. And he drank this cup for our sake and thirsted so that we might not need to. You know, the human body, it's interesting, the human body is made up of About 60% of water. 60%. That's an average, but that's about what it is. Which is why we need to drink a lot of water. Now think about it. If you are dying of thirst, there's a body of water very near here that you could drink from. It's called the ocean. And what would happen if you would drink that water? You would still die of thirst. Why? Because it's not the pure water that we need. And how many times in our lives when we have need, we drink the wrong water. We try to fill this desperate need that we have for the Lord, that we have for emotions, that we even have physically, and we feed ourselves, we drink of the wrong stuff. Whether it be physical Emotional or spiritual, we seek the wrong liquid to quench our thirst. When we need this pure water, this living water that Jesus offers. Probably, and I don't remember exactly, around seven, eight years ago, my dad, who always prided himself in being very fit, he was a weightlifter most of his life, stayed in great shape, And at 83 years old, just a couple of months before, he went through a very bad experience. He got a clean bill from the doctor and the doctor said, you are in incredible shape for your age. Well, my dad, a German engineer, very stubborn and very prideful, went outside and he shoveled the driveway because there was snow all over it, first thing in the morning to clear it so my mom... And he could get out of the driveway later. So then he came in. He had his breakfast. Coffee and orange juice, which is typical for him. Meanwhile, he had a cold. So he should be drinking a lot of water. But he didn't. So then he went down before he left the house and lifted weights and did his one or two mile walk. He varied in what he did in our garage. As He went around a circle. Because it was cold and snowy outside. And this was my dad. Well, later on in the afternoon, my mom heard him fall. And when she went in, he said, I'm fine. That would be my dad's response. I don't have a need. Five days later, when he was on the floor again and couldn't get up, my mom eventually got help, got my dad to the doctors. The doctor immediately sent him to the hospital. The hospital immediately put him in ICU, and in less than a few weeks period of time, my dad had died from kidney failure and heart failure due to dehydration. My dad said to me the last time I saw him, I'll never do that again. And we smiled and we prayed together and told him I loved him, but he needed water. That's what he needed. Jesus was thirsty because of this broken communion, this broken relationship with the Father. Jesus, who said to the woman of the well, if you drink the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. And later on in John's Gospel, says springs of living water by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to satisfy your deepest need. To satisfy our need both emotionally and spiritually. As we begin to seek his grace and his mercy, healthy relationships, beginning with a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ who went to the cross on our behalf, who thirsted so that we might never thirst again. That's why Jesus drank of the cup, for you and for me. To have our deepest needs satisfied. Now and for all eternity. So Jesus, who thirsted, says, come and drink. Come and drink. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes we thirst and we don't really recognize the depth of our need. You said in your first sermon, blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, give us that thirst. Cause us to empty ourselves of any pride, of any false notions of what would satisfy us. Lord, that we would be empty as you came to earth and emptied yourself for our sake. So that we might be filled and satisfied with the water of life The gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of water that cleanses us and transforms us and satisfies us. Lord, this day, help us to come to you and just merely say, I thirst. That you might well up in us that spring of living water by the power of your Holy Spirit and for the sake of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.